0: Did you see the story about, you know, 78% of CEOs expect a recession? What do you think is going to happen in your industry for your company next year? And then shut up. Let them talk. And they will tell you everything you need to do to go to the next question.
1: Hey, hey, we're live. Hey, hey. I wasn't even ready for the intro. I was playing with the new music, but here we go. Another Thursday night coming to you, Heads Up Advisor, 7 p.m., 4 p.m. Yeah. Pacific.
0: Earlier, hey, earlier than the old days.
1: Tonight? Some buyer personas. We got a quick one. Don't have tons of time. We're building the machine. We're building the machine day and night. We're getting ready to prospect. and I got some good stuff coming. Maybe I'll have some of these these consultants and experts that on the show that we did hire because they are phenomenal. Guys that send out millions of emails a month, I think they know what they're doing. I think they know how to write cold emails and get to the persona. And we're having them script up some ones for us. And my target is obviously you guys, right? Insurance advisors, guys and gals. This show sponsor, none other than Virtue Health, right? We're selling our self-funded program, our self-funded consortium. We'll bundle with the health plan, pharmacy, whatever you need. We're helping you with, right? You're our persona. Very simple from a broker standpoint, because I was one. Still kind of act like one. Help people close business, this and that. So it's easy to target my persona. It's only one. But Mm -hmm. when you're an advisor, you have multiple. And you've got to decide, you know, me and Craig, Craig used to knock HR really hard. Tease the brokers and pitching HR. And you know what? When I look back, I was really good with HR. I was good with the women, typically a woman HR. I was really good kissing, ash and schmoozing in the beginning because I was desperate and they were buying what I was selling, even though I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And you know what? I got a lot of accounts because it, and it worked well. So I kind of got better and better with the ladies that were running these benefit departments. And so as I grew, grew and lost patience and became less and less needy i realized my personality is going to go better with the owner because he's just like me he gets what i'm saying and it's short and sweet and it's not sugar-coated and so that worked for me and i think everybody needs to take a step back and go what is my wheelhouse right craig which one am i best with there's No. no answer if you're you know again i used to make the mistake and probably learned it from craig of uh knocking people that were pitching HR when in reality, if that's what you're good at, stick with it. Because you can write business. I know some guys are like, look, I pitched the HRIS. That's the world I came from. And I'm writing business as a bolt-on. And the health is nothing. Just give me this. And and you know what? Just people making a shitload of money doing that. So hats off to you. But today, we're going to, and we've talked about it before, but we're giving you refreshers this year for newer listeners. Yeah, Talk to a guy today, and it's like, we, we need to Go back and refresh and put a track record in place again of the basics, right? Blocking and tackling before you start going into this year. And let us we're going to talk about blocking and tackling. Go back when I met Craig years back. The uh, La Jolla event, which I would say was a career-changing event for not only me, but many people in the industry don't even know that what was taught at that event, like the healthcare supply chain, was trickled down and and brought to you by none other than Craig. But one of the things that stuck out to me was he went over the buyer personas, and the way the mnemonic device he used to explain it, well, let's bring him on, Craig. Tony Robbins. Hey, yo, know, uh,
0: 2017, man, we're going back in time. But it's still relevant today, like most things, right? And one of the stories I, I talked about at that event was Tony Robbins, right, studying people in different industries that are successful and applying what they did well to, you know, what our business is. And so that is a real good way to get better faster is go to school on somebody else who's already successful doing the business. So Tony had a thing called the six human needs, which just resonated with me and it made perfect sense. And maybe it will help you. And so Tony said, you can boil down all human beings down to six basic needs. People need variety. They need certainty. They need growth. They need significance. They need, a, uh, they need to make a connection and experience love. And they want to make a contribution. And so when you think about the different people you're going to target or the different people you like to talk to, you just think in terms of, those six human needs and match up what value proposition you offer, what services, what problems you solve and align those with the six human needs that you know for a fact your buyers all have. So I'll give you an example.
1: Yeah, let's go, let's go one by one, Craig. Yeah, yeah. So yeah let's, let's start let's with variety.
0: Go. That's what I was going to pick first because it's an easy example. Put Put John up on the screen. So we look at the differences – and I use this example probably back in 17. I sure have since then. John loves variety in women. I, on the other hand, like certainty, right? I've been with the same woman 43 years since we were teenagers. That's a different persona and that's okay. So you've got some buyers, maybe they're younger, maybe they're part of a startup. Maybe they have, Problems, and they just have—they have so many problems. And what you like solving are companies that are just scrambling, and they're going in a million different directions. They don't have enough staff, and they're just looking for help anywhere they can get it. And you fit well with that. Well, you're going to resonate with these people that like variety. In contrast, you're going to find people who like certainty, and you can cheat. Does healthcare offer much certainty? No, especially if conventionally sold, especially if you're going into 95 out of 100 prospects groups knowing they have no certainty at all related to their hospital bill, their surgical center bill, their pharmacy bill, or their doctor bills. Thus, you know that you can take an angle of, does that feeling of uncertainty, does it make you uncomfortable? How do, you, how do you address it? What do you do every year? When's the last time you tried to make a change to try and get more certainty? And you just have a conversation that's so easy to have. And so, you know, you deal with variety and certainty. What about growth? Well, this is where it starts to get interesting. You know, in my 36 years experience in talking to human resources versus C-suite executives, managers, I don't find a lot of human resource managers appeal. It's nothing. It's not a pejorative. It's not a negative. It's just my experience. They're not really interested so much in growth. And so CFOs, on the other hand, they're interested in growth because who's the CFO's boss? It's the CEO. What's the CEO do? Well, they probably own most or all of the shares of the company and thus they want more growth in order to have more profits so that their net worth goes up if and when they sell the company. Thus, CFOs always pressured for growth right? What are you doing to grow the top line, CFO? What are you doing to grow the bottom line in a marketplace where we have 7% inflation? And that's the published one. We all kind of know it's more than that. But what are you doing? I mean, what do you think that healthcare train inflation rate's going to do to you next year? How are you going to overcome that? Can you jack up your prices? What about the other supply chain providers? Are they goosing you too? Are they jacking up there? How are you dealing with that margin compression? OMG right? And you just have a very simple conversation about growth. What about significance? Ah, here's where it gets interesting. I find that HR people overtly or unintentionally very interested in significance. The significance that they feel when their employees show them love, when the employees have no noise, right? It's a great, great corporate speak noise. That's, uh, that's corporate speak for complaints, when there's no complaints about stuff oh man that adds significance so sometimes in the buying process human resource managers are looking at what's the impact to me personally if this doesn't work oh my gosh and so they're concerned about the significance in contrast the cfo's are much easier and so you know you guys are out there and you got 100,000 in savings and 300,000 in savings and a half a million what kind of significance are you going to get with the ceo when you show him or her that you just dropped a quarter of a million dollars of new EBITDA to the bottom line, very simply, with very little friction and no, no, no employee noise, right? Now you're going to get more significance. If you get more significance with the CEO or the president of the company, do you suppose maybe we could negotiate a pay raise for you? And so now we've gone through variety and certainty, uh, growth and significance, now, people also want to make a contribution. Now, clearly, HR people love to make a contribution, right? I have talked to HR people who told me their job is to protect the employees from the company. In contrast, the CFOs have told me that my job is to protect the company from the CEO. And so you have these you know, disparate agendas, and you have to try and align your value proposition with what's going on in their world personally and professionally. So you find out how do they make a contribution for the employees is it not having a rate increase every yeah, year? Yeah, I it So it's,
1: it's it's we've got typically three personas and one may deviate more from the other We're doing multiple roles. But in your questioning, right, we've gone over first meeting question. I think the the number one outside of not having enough prospecting, right? Not having enough prospects I spoke to somebody today that's looking to be a broker. I said, if you can't generate leads, you're going to fail. I don't care how good your clothes are. You're going to fail. So outside of that, I think the biggest challenge that I see, and correct me if I'm wrong, Craig, is the first meeting. Going in that first meeting, what to do, what to say, how to go about it. Most pitch too much and are not asking the right questions. They're interrogating them. not the You're, 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 necess, you're technically interrogating them, but you want to do it the right way where it sounds more conversational. Um,
0: yeah you don't want to make it feel like a deposition <laughs> right or an interrogation. So the, the question is how can you be just conversational to to drive these things that are going to try and glean and drive and pull out from the prospect something emotional, something honest, something authentic where they really tell you the truth and you then dive deeper and and how does that affect? the company how does that affect the employees does that have an effect on your job security You know, how long are you willing to put up with that you know things like that just make everything's about how can you just yeah. so, so each
1: each persona right you've got to go into the meetings and you know margo make a note of this this may be a good uh lead mag is the top five questions to ask the ceo the cfo and the hr here's the top five um you know, whatever you want to call them, there's qualifying questions, there's, there's intelligence gathering. Because the first meeting, that's what it is, as Belfour would say. It's an intelligence gathering uh, in the first meeting, which is partly qualifying the prospect. And so you've got to go into the meeting and look, as good as I thought I became, I still would take a white piece of paper and I would type it up, questions really tiny on there and i would call it the ledge that if i forgot something i might go back to it if i had gone stale in the meeting if it was a tougher meeting because you know sometimes you're in those meetings they don't say nothing and they're more (laughs) difficult they're more reserved and you go you know what i gotta pull something out of my ass right now and sometimes you can't remember a good one so you have that there and so especially if you're newer especially if you're not going on enough meetings now when i was going on enough meetings i might not use it it was there, but I typically wouldn't use it because I was sharp. I was doing it all the time, but write, Don't feel stupid to, to write down questions. You know, many telemarketers, the best ones. The one I had was yeah. phenomenal. And in front of him, as good as he was, he had yellow sticky notes across the whole front, the, the draw cabinets above him, across really? the whole thing. And he would stand there, and he would, he would when he'd hear me say something good, he'd be like, oh, "That's good. Let me write that down." You put it up there. And so even the best would have something to go back because you just, just can't remember all of all the good punchlines and all the good questions. And so yeah. use that as your ledge, but tailor it accordingly. You might want to have a couple of sheets and, you know, flip it through. If you've got two people there, they don't know what the hell you're doing. You're taking notes like you're a therapist. You're taking notes, you hand it up, you put it on angle. You write it so small, they can't see it anyway. John, do you think it's
0: fair to assume that most buyers, if they've been through the broker meeting, Right. First meeting renewal. I mean, they have an expectation that you're going to show up and go, well, you know, I don't have any details on your plan. So can you tell me, you know, how much is your deductible? And, you know, and you start right in with a kind of a features and benefits. And I'm a commodity. And let me prove it to you.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can get all the answers to your questions in the meeting. Right. Through other questions that may not pertain to healthcare and you back into them and you become more and more sophisticated. This is when you get good guys and and, and it's nothing else than studying, learning psychology, learning a language, learning how to, you know, it's, it's, it's just human psychology in reality. Yeah,
0: so do you want me to give a quick example?
1: Yeah, we're going to go to that. Cause okay. I'm going to go to each one. Cause Craig is phenomenal. You got your pads out. You're listening on the show. You listen live, get your pads, out, You go back and listen to it. Craig's really, uh, Really good at asking these questions in a way to get them out. But you have the three. And so let's just go back before we go into questions because we're going to do that. The CEO wants growth, right? I'm the CEO of my company. Right now, all I want to do is drive the top line revenue. I'm building the machine to grow the top line. What else do I want as a CEO, correct? What's the other one that I want, the six human? Uh,
0: you know, normally if you read any of the published stuff, they're going to say that the CEOs are in charge of talent, right? They're trying to steal away the best finance, the best salespeople from other industries, yeah. other companies. And,
1: and I've learned now that, you know, I've stayed lean and mean, but I've learned now that I want to grow the company. And my brother, who's in corporate, you know, tens of thousands of employees, he said, it's all about top talent. He goes, we just want to get the top 10% of sales guys or the one one percent guys he's like my boss's job as a sales leader is to schmooze and keep the sales happy that's it he takes sales guys out for two plus years on expensive dinners before he gets them to come over from other companies that he worked with him at and and he makes two plus million dollars a year plus everything in the world is paid for his ten thousand dollar month place everything my brother's like he doesn't even sell anything all he does is he's the therapist and the go-to person for the salespeople. And he gives them stock options. And he gives them nothing but stuff because he's there. My brother's mad because my brother's in finance and he's not, hey, <laughs> so well, you got to learn how to sell. You're not a salesman. You don't get those perks. You're an
0: expense. You're not a, a source of new revenue.
1: Yeah. And so that's when you listen to this guys. And if you're looking to expand the company, right. But th- this is what you're going to look for. It's what I'm looking for now. This is what these CEOs are looking for in the meetings that you're at. You know, 50 the 100 life groups. Top talent is extremely tough to get. And so we'll go into questions on that. So we got talent growth. What's the human need you would call that Tony Robbins calls it for the CEO? One of the six, two of the six.
0: Uh, I'd say that the two that they want are a growth and certainty. Certainty. Right. The certainty that they're they're pressured by is what the hell you mean we have a loss? Right. When they're talking to the CFO, what do you mean we're not going to make any money? What the hell happened? Right. What about this? What about that? You know, who's letting the sales guy sell stuff with low margin? Who's, who's cutting out all of our profit margins? You know, which, which of our vendors are grinding us?
1: Yeah. So what, so CFO wants certainty. What else does CFO want?
0: Uh, the CFO wants certainty for sure. But the CFO now, CFO, you asked CEO last time. So the CFO wants certainty and significance. Okay. CEO more growth because they're they're the ultimate benefactor of growth but uh you can get the CFOs you know CFOs okay let me just ask you a question. do you do most CFOs care if the employees love them honestly I don't think so but HR people do it's just it's just the way life is so the CFO knows that if the board of directors or the CEO or the president of the company is going to allow them to keep their job it's because They're doing a great job managing the bottom line.
1: HR, what do they want? They want love.
0: They want love and they want to make a contribution on behalf of the employees, protecting the employees from the company. You know, the big bad company shifts cost to the employees year after year, higher deductibles, higher premium contributions, lower higher copays, you know, all that stuff. And so they're just there to. When it comes to healthcare, try to change as little as possible and keep the rate increases as low as you can. I mean, that's marching orders at most companies.
1: So let's go let's go over some questions. And and so which one you want to start with? What personality you want to start with? What are some good and you can you can give me well,
0: generic is this conversation, more, give, me what
1: more, give me more generic ones, easier yeah. ones for everyone listening, and then you can go into more specific, but <laughs> fire away and maybe tell us why you're asking that question, what you're hoping to gain from it. Put as you on, you, I'll put you on the hot seat here.
0: As you've told people, brokers, lots of times, right? Do research before your calls, before you show up and throw up. Do research. So it's so easy. You're sitting down there with the owner. He's expecting you to jump into why the HSA is the best thing since sliced bread, right? But you don't do that. You sound different so that they look at you and go, I don't think I've ever had a conversation like this with a healthcare broker. Bingo. Bingo. That's when you know a C-suite person is going to pay attention to you. So, hey, you know, I was just reading in your industry journal. I was just reading, you know, did you see the story about, you know, 78 percent of CEOs expect a recession? What do you think is going to happen in your industry for your company next year? And then shut up. Let them talk. And they will tell you everything you need to do to go to the next question. And so it's like kind of picture like peeling an onion. So you start at the outside and you work your way in. And the more they tell you, the more you can query and go deeper on that and go, wow, that's fascinating. So you're, you're in the 22% that thinks, you know, we're not going to have a recession. Things are going to go great. So how are you, how do you decide what to prioritize in growing the company? right? Are you stealing people away? Are you going to merge? Are you going to buy? You, you got, you know, a pile of money sitting in the bank. What are you doing? See, I'm not, I don't talk about healthcare. We'll get to that at the very, very end. Because if you lead with it, they'll tell you, oh, you need to go talk to Sally. That's that's who I pay to manage healthcare. So you have a business conversation. Well, it's very basic. You don't have to be an economics major. You're just talking to them. So, I mean, that's, that's how to do it, John, for a CEO or president of a, of a company. Does that sound simple?
1: Simple enough. CFO, let's go, C, let's stay in the C suite.
0: Yeah. So, CFO, you know, uh, I read this, I read that, I saw this, I saw that. Your industry, business as usual, Wall Street Journal, Forbes, PWC, KPMG, EY, you know, saw this survey, right? Margin compression. Everybody's profit margins are getting squeezed because of the inflation. Does that really impact your business? Because I I, I kind of I read a story about the, uh, you know, steel ball bearings journal. And it said that, uh, you know, 78% of companies had negative profit margins in calendar year 2022. What did it look like for you? And so you're talking to them about things that they care about, profitability, profit margins. And then, Ultimately, you can so, you know, lines of credit, you know, the bank, boy, have they, you know, mortgage rates have tripled. Now they come down a little bit now in the last couple of months, but uh, w- what happens to lines of credit at the bank? I mean, you know, the CEO's got personal guarantees. So, so what is the top two things that are eating up your margin? Oh, your supply chain and oh healthcare. Wow. You know, fascinating. I hear that like every day, right? So, how involved are you with the healthcare decision? Because, you know, it's fascinating that the healthcare budget, if you take payroll, healthcare is usually number two, maybe number three as an operating expense, or what I would call because you're self insured, it's your second business. It's not always, you don't always perceive it that way. You look at it as an operating expense. But honestly, if you're self insured, you are an insurance company. And sadly, a lot of CFOs aren't even involved in running the second largest operating unit of the company. And so what's it look like here? Who does it? How are the decision made? Who's involved? What do you do? How often? Are you going to get more involved? Would you like to get more involved? What if you could create certainty around that budget? What's the budget been like for the last three years? What if you could claw back those lost profits over the next 24 to 48 months using strategies that have proven successful at other companies that we work with?
1: You know, that's we're just talking. that, That should be enough enough to pivot over because we're just trying to get them to where we want to take them. I mean, we're trying to get them to give us as much information of intelligence as we can to pivot to how to position our solution because most of what you see in the consulting, consulting books is having the emotional, why the emotional reason as to why they're going to do something. If you don't have the emotional reason, you can't pin them to something. You can't go into the follow-up sales meeting and pin them to something. You told me this was of importance. How important is it? What do you want to do to fix it? Right. All, that whole script that I always take you guys down and getting that through the questioning is really where you want to pinpoint it. And then you can just keep elaborating on your solution based on tailor or spinning it back to that. So yeah. let's go to HR before we wrap up here. Different very different profile and yeah. I I think it's I think it's a tougher one I think the CEO is the easiest followed by the CFO and I think the HR is the is the hardest one in my opinion because who the hell knows what the hell they care about what they want and what are some of the questions maybe they could ask to get to get you there
0: so after the uh Pandemic. And the great resignation. Uh, there's been a lot of, well, hundreds of articles. I'm sure you read them, right? We we read them, too, so that we we understand and feel your pain. Diversity, equity and inclusion. Really strong words bring out a lot of imagery. Uh, everybody kind of has a similar and yet different interpretation based on the culture of their company. I'm curious what kind of diversity or an inclusion initiatives do you have at your company, shut up. They'll talk, doing something, doing nothing, doing everything. Have you ever considered that healthcare is part of the DEI issue? Hmm. How many, I'm curious, how many health plans do you offer your workforce? Hmm. How many different, uh, one? Okay. How many different generations do you think work at your company? Four, most common answer. So that's okay. So four generations. Let's unpack that a little. Let's get a little granular. Uh, we got single people right in their twenties. We got thirty uh, somethings. Uh, people are waiting to have kids now, generally speaking, compared to my era. So maybe they have probably you know two youngsters and two dogs, and they're in their mid to late thirties. And then you got uh, you know the college age parents, uh, dual income. Uh, they got teenagers and, and college kids. They got that debt. And then you got the empty nesters, four generations. I'm curious, what went into the decision to have one medical plan to try and serve the needs of four different? Would you consider that medical plans could be part of your diversity and inclusion? So let me, let me explain that. If you had two plans, you'd have more diversity, right? People who have more freedom to choose a plan that might fit their needs more specifically. Now, as in the inclusive side, what percentage of your workforce is hourly? Oh, uh, 85%. Hmm. And what would you say, you know, I did a little research. It, it looks like, you know, this industry, it's maybe $35 an hour. Does that sound close? Yeah, okay. So, seventy dollars $35 an hour. And you told me that the majority of your workforce was in high-deductible health plans? with with an HSA and you you put 500 bucks for the single and 1000 for the family. Okay, what's the out of pocket maximum on that? The MOOP. You know, we have all these funny acronyms. Oh, $5000, okay? Do you charge your employees? Yeah. $100 a month. So $5000 in deductible, $1200 in contributions, that's $6200 on a $70,000 average hourly worker if they're sick and they consume a lot of healthcare. And uh, that's a pretty heavy percentage of their gross wages. Now, nobody takes home their gross wages. So as a percentage of their take-home pay, it's actually more than 10% of their pay. Do you think that the C-suite, who doesn't make $70,000, by the way, maybe it's $170,000, dollars so the amount that they pay, it's insignificant relative to what they make. Do you think they're sensitive to the fact that the majority of their workers, if they're sick, are paying more than 10% of their take-home pay in out-of-pocket expenses? do you think there's an opportunity there to maybe design something that would be more inclusive for 85% of your workforce? What there's about one conversation that, track?
1: What about ones that where you want to see how involved they are? One always big one was, are they even on the freaking plan? Cause if are on the plan, yeah. you might have well walk out the door. You haven't, you I, really I, have I used to say that. As,
0: do you eat your own cooking? And they look at me yeah. and I'm like, are you on the medical plan?
1: Yeah, that's a good thing to find out first and foremost, and their health. Because I've upsold plans for HR people's health because they didn't like the plan. And it was more money, and they chose me because of that. Beautiful. Um, But workload. You see how
0: easy you just made that? You just ask them, do you like the medical plan here?
1: Are you enrolled on it? Yeah, Let's. does this fit your needs? I mean, what does everybody care about themselves? You'll see that so much with the HR people. sick individuals those those are that's low-hanging fruit right that's another way to get as you know to get fired is if the hr or the cfo and they got medical issues and their kids do and it ain't going well yeah that's a good way to get fired so that's an easy one that i always just have the conversation on are you even on the freaking plan do you have conditions you have kids on so on and so forth but what are some other questions as far as because they don't like to do work how much work is involved do you have staff around it how have you addressed changes in the past? Who
0: who do you involve in making decisions to change or modify the medical plan? When's the last time you made a change? Wow. So you decided, so do you use, you know, premium contributions as a way to steer people into the uh, one plan versus another, or, or are you just hands off and you guys pick whatever plans you want? How does, you know, how do premium contributions work here? Oh, you know, you've got 65% of the group in a high deductible health plan. Are you in the high deductible? Do, do you consume a lot of health care? You know, there's a, a lot of interesting data on high deductible plans. Um, you know, most of the workers making less than $100,000 don't have any balance in their account. And, and so, you know, you can have a conversation around that. And, and especially, you know, if it's the only plan option they have. Wow. That's I think that's just personally, I think that's brutal. Because as I described, those four different generations have vastly different medical needs, and you have one solution to to, to bind them all with. I don't doesn't make sense to me.
1: No. Um, I think and you I know think-
0: you you got, you got you guys got a lot of stuff, right? So you, you got the you know specialty, you got the, the, the pharmacy niche, you got the DPC. Maybe they're in an RBP area, but they don't even know about RBP and they don't even use it. Maybe there's really good bundled surgical in that area where the employers. I mean, you just have a lot of things that you can connect the dots on if you can ask the right questions to find out how it's like a decision
1: tree. I mean, basically, you're starting here based on what they say, you're going over here, then you're going back over here. I mean, and again, that comes with experience. New guys, you're not gonna ha- you're not gonna be able to pick it up right away because that comes with experience. You're gonna be able to pivot a lot faster, and that's why it's okay to use. Yeah. When I first started, I used to use a whole question sheet. I mean, may call me stupid, but that's what I used to use because I wanted to get data, and I didn't care. I'd pound them with the questions he's, because he's, I look looked out. like if I didn't have any problem want me to you. help you. I need to know yeah. this.
0: We've done this hundreds of times for small employers like you, mid-market employers like you. We know the most effective way to do this. And so I'm literally, if you're comfortable, I want to follow you down. I want to lead you down the path as your guide to determine, to discover you know, where you're at, where you'd like to be, discover if there's any gaps, and then show you how we can align our purposes together and fill in the gap, right? And you just follow a dang chart. Who cares? You don't have to be embarrassed. I mean, you don't have to do all this stuff and wing it, follow a track.
1: Hey, we'll end it there. I think we gave them enough buyer personas. Um, Figure out who you're good with. A couple questions. We gave you some ideas, research, do a little research from buyers needs. And I think you'll be in good shape, better shape in those meetings, but make sure you get the first meeting. Right. You know, don't waste those opportunities because the hardest thing to do is get meetings. It's not close them; it's get the meeting. And so, that's the story of the success right there is getting meetings. But getting better in the meetings is where you get Uber successful. So we'll end it up there. Thanks for joining us as always. Heads of advisor every week, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific 4 p.m. time, Pacific. and uh, we'll see you next time, ladies and gents. Happy hunting.
0: Have fun tonight.